0: Let us go before the Lord in prayer, heavenly, Father, Lord, we praise you, we glorify you this morning. We honor you, for you are worthy of glory and honor. We honor you because of your Son Jesus Christ also, who is worthy of of all glory and honor, and just thanking Lord for bringing him to us that we may have life that we may have salvation, and thanking you, Lord, this morning for your Holy Spirit who continues to reveal and teach us the things of Christ to us and to encourage us in the truth. We pray, Lord, that you help us to understand what it is that you would have your people who are gathered here to understand. We pray and we thank you for preserving your word, that we may hear it even the way that we have it and all the formats that are now available to us. These are things that many generations of Christians did not have So Lord we just thank you for making your word this much available to us and now just asking for your grace to abound that we may be able to hear. We pray and thank you in Jesus name. Amen. And finally we are finishing John 10. It feels like we are finishing the whole book of John. (laughs) John 10 verses 31 to 42 we are going to work a lot of background teaching before we even get to the verses that's going to occupy the majority of our time and that will help us to understand the very last words here recorded for us by john john 10 verses 31 to 42 john records for us and says the jews picked up stones again to stone him That is to stone Jesus. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Verse 34, Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law, I said you are God's, If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God. If I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, believe the works so that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. Therefore they were seeking again to seize him, and he eluded their grasp. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing, and he was staying there. Many came to him and were saying, While John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true. Many believed in him there. Our sermon title is going to be Jesus and blasphemy. Oh. <laughs> A mere man claiming to be God. A mere man claiming to be God. Oh. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Ultimately, that's the title that I want to work on. Who is Jesus? And for our introduction, we're going to begin in John 10, verses 17 and 18, where Jesus says, For this reason, the Father loves me, because I laid down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. John 10 verse 25 Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. John 10 27 to 30 My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Those are statements in John 10 where Jesus claimed to be God. And many professing Christians especially liberals and such questionable denominations like Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses deny the deity of Christ. They deny that Jesus is God. They say Jesus nowhere ever claimed to be God. And so he is not God. They interpret the sonship of Jesus with respect to God the same way they interpret the sonship of my son as they relate to me. Like Jesus was a created being who was only exalted because of his obedience. He was created by God but he, whatever his resume is, Whatever his accomplishments, those are what qualified him to be exalted that way. And so, they say he was only exalted because of his obedience. Exalted because of his good deeds and actions. And that is why some say Jesus was just an exalted angel. And when you are reading about this, it's called functional Christology, Christ became the Christ only because of his obedience. It has nothing to do with the person and nature of Christ as God in the flesh. So if we have a functional Christology, what that means is, Brother Robert just happens to be so good, he can also be exalted to the same level as Christ. And so they deny That Jesus Christ has the same essence and substance as God. They deny that Jesus is God. But when we are talking about salvation, it is important what we say about the identity of Christ. Who is Jesus is very, very important. It is the most important testimony That one has to give between now and death. This is the testimony that separates life and death. The testimony of what we say or who we say Christ is. Acts 4 verse 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven, That has been given among men by which we must be saved. There's no other name. There's no other name given. Under heaven. As long as you belong to this place which is under heaven. You have no other name that has been given. Why? Because his name is Jesus. And it means the Lord is salvation. Jesus means God is salvation and that means there is no other way that one born under heaven born outside the city limits of heaven will be served outside this name. If you are born outside the city limits of heaven there is no other way you can be saved. There is no other way you can avoid hell outside the name of Christ. It does not matter what you think of Muhammad, Confucius, Buddha, Gandhi, the Dalai Lama, my friend. <laughs> he's a nice guy. A nice guy. But such is the deception. We are not saved by how nice these guys are. We are saved under this name. The Dalai Lama is not the name that has been given under heaven for salvation. Gandhi is not the name that has been given. Mohammed is not the name that has been given. There's only one name. So it matters what you think and say about this name called Jesus. And it is a very easy name to spell and pronounce. But it is impossible to believe in that name unless God does some work in you and cause you to believe in him and bring the same testimony about Christ as God has given. And salvation is not just to keep some sinners out of hell. Salvation is not just about keeping some sinners out of hellfire. The work of salvation is the work of revealing God himself. It is a work of revelation of God himself. God cannot be known outside the work of salvation. God cannot be known outside salvation, whether on earth or in heaven. In heaven, he is known in the work of salvation because he kept some angels holy, but others he allowed to fall. And be lost. And so the holy angels know that they stand only by grace. They don't stand by their own righteousness. So in heaven they know something about grace. Underneath the earth. God also has to reveal himself in salvation. In grace. In mercy. In justice. In love. In power. All those attributes of who God is can only be revealed and be known in the context of judgment and salvation. And no one except Jesus Christ stands before God by their own intrinsic merit and righteousness. Therefore, the revelation of God is redemptive. The revelation of God is redemptive And that just means that it always happens in the context of salvation. And so is the love of God. The love of God cannot be known, cannot be shown outside the context of salvation. So God reveals his love towards these people, not in the trinkets of life, but in that he gives his son to redeem them. So the question is, does God love me? I don't think God loves me because I don't have a yucca. Does not answer to the love of God because God's love is not defined in those terms. Those are the wrong parameters to try and define God's love for you. The only way that you can properly define and know the love of God is through what he has done for you in Christ. So in the giving of his Son, he reveals himself in the Son. Matthew 16, 13-17. Matthew 16, 13-17. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Verse 14, and they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon by Jonah, you are so smart. You figure this out by yourself. You are so good. Jesus says no. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my father who is in heaven. Isaiah 53 one says. You don't have God there. Isaiah says. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Christ is the arm of the Lord. And he has to be revealed. Luke 10.22 Jesus says all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows who the son is except the father and who the father is except the son and anyone to whom the son wills to reveal him the father and the son are only known by the Father and the Son. And of course the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says you can't bring a true testimony of Christ or the Father outside revelation. He has to do it. What is that saying? It is saying the ultimate question of salvation for any man, woman or child is how they answer the question of the identity of Christ. Who do you say that I am? The obedience of whatever people call Jesus serves no one as long as they don't have the identity right. You can say all the things that Jesus did and say, "Oh, well, Confucius did that. That's wrong. That serves no one. The sufficiency of salvation is in the identity of Christ. Remember, there were two thieves on the cross with him. But they were not saved because they died on the cross. Because if all you need for salvation is to die, then both thieves should have been saved. Their death was for the payment of their own sins. They were paying for their sins. But it was not enough. It was not sufficient to redeem. And that is why the repentant thief, the repentant thief on the cross, by revelation from God, said to Jesus, Lord, remember, you remember me when you get into your kingdom. You remember me because your death is different from mine. You remember me because I see that my own death is not sufficient to pay for my own sins of stealing. Your death actually redeems someone like me. And I know you shall not stay dead because you have a kingdom to go to. My death is useless unless you, by your mercy, or you, by your grace, remember me. You have to remember me. And asking to be remembered was asking for mercy. The thief was not saying, Jesus, you remember to write me a letter when you get to your kingdom. That's not what he was. You remember my name. <laughs> remember, we, we were crucified together. We, we, we hung together on the cross. That's not what he was asking for. Have mercy on me when you have resurrected The thief knows that Jesus has a kingdom to go to and a kingdom to possess. And Jesus cannot stay dead because he has a kingdom. So guess what? The thief on the cross believed in the resurrection of Christ. So the thief on the cross, the repentant thief, knew that there was something special about the person of Jesus. He knew that Jesus was going to overcome death. And a Jesus who is not God cannot remember you because he can't overcome death. If he gets put on the cross, that's the end of the story. You need a Jesus who resurrects. And a Jesus who is not God cannot resurrect. And remember who the thief on the cross is. The thief on the cross is you. You are the thief on the cross. You were the repentant. Thief on the cross who needed Jesus to remember you. Don't read those stories and think that Jesus was telling us about some other person. You and I are the thief. We are the blind beggars. We are the demon possessed. We are the woman who was bleeding to death. And we were the lepers. But hear this. Jesus does not care what other people are saying about him. Jesus does not run opinion polls. They don't have Gallup in heaven. They don't have a CNN, CBS poll to gauge the opinion on Jesus. Jesus is not going to run a campaign and say, oh, wow, my numbers are not looking good. See, in the conversation that he had with his disciples, when he asked them, what are they saying about me? Jesus did not even validate or try to correct the wrong opinions of what the disciples heard people say about Jesus. He didn't say, oh, well, they are wrong. Or they were very close. If they could only say, I am more than a prophet. Jesus' interest is for you to answer the question for yourself, not what other people are saying. Who do you say that he is? Who do you say the son of man is? And what you say drives the rest of your theology about God and salvation. And no man is able to answer that question by just reading the Bible. No man can answer that question from what grandma told them. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Jonah. Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. Your grandfather, grandmother, mommy, daddy, they did not reveal that to you. My father in heaven has to reveal. So no man is able to answer that question by going to church. No man is able to answer that question by their own power or their own will. Here again the responses that were given by the disciples. Some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah and one of the prophets. This is as far as human will and power can take you. Oh, he's a prophet. He's an apostle. Human will and power is not able to make a proper confession of the person or the identity of Jesus. Unless God does something to reveal Christ. God has to reveal Christ. Galatians 1. 15 and 16. Galatians 1, 15 and 16. Apostle Paul says, But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. Apostle Paul says, When it pleased God to reveal Christ in me, Christ has to be revealed in you when God is pleased. God has to give human beings the ability to see and confess who Jesus is for who he truly is. If God is not pleased to reveal his son, no man can know him. They can spell their name. They can give money in the name of Jesus. They can throw the Holy Spirit at people in the name of Jesus. They will do all kinds of things in the name of Jesus and still not know who Jesus is. And the more they throw the Holy Spirit at people, the more they show that they don't know who Jesus is. But it will not stop them from being religious. They continue to be religious. They will worship like the Samaritan woman whom Jesus said, Woman, you worship, but you know not what. I see, you are so diligent in your worship. You are so diligent in the exercise of religion, but you are ignorant of what you are worshipping. Or as Apostle Paul would say of the Jews in Romans 10, they have zeal, but not according to knowledge. To worship God in truth and spirit, one has to know The son who is Jesus Christ. And God has to show them who the son is. The Lord said to Peter. Blessed are you Simon by Jonah. For flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But my father who is in heaven. So Jesus has to be revealed to a sinner by God. And those who saw him. Jesus was a very enigmatic character. As soon as he opened his mouth, people could tell that there was something different. Those who saw him said, he does not teach like the Pharisees and the scribes. For he teaches as one who has authority. One who has authority. Who has much understanding. And the disciples who experienced him when he was doing his miracles... When he was quieting down storms, they marveled and said, What kind of, of man is this? What manner of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? What kind of a man is this guy? What, what kind of a guy is this? Yes, what kind of man is this who is obeyed by winds and the seas? That is not an ordinary man. This man did not surrender his divine power in the incarnation, as many say. He did not. He only veiled it. He veiled it so that it could not be seen. Come to think of it, but people don't stop to think. The sea is raging and the winds are crazy, maybe even tornado type winds. And Jesus just opens his mouth. Peace. Become. And like a puppy. Just like that. <laughs> I, I, if I was there. I have to ask the question. What man of man is this? The wind and the seas. Have no ears. They have no eyes. And they don't have a brain. They can't hear. What Jesus is saying. To obey him. And yet they hear him. The rocks obey Jesus. Remember, in the triumphal entry, and people were coming to him and say, oh, disciples are making too much noise. Tell them to be quiet. And Jesus says, if they're quiet, guess what? These very rocks will be singing. Even the rocks, even right now, the rocks know who Jesus is. They obey him. They all hear him when he speaks. That is why Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. The sheep actually have ears. If the rocks can hear Jesus, guess what? You're going to hear from Jesus. <laughs> and that is power. That is omnipotent power. And surely what manner of man is this? Nicodemus came to Jesus and tried to be smart. Tried to be smart. He tried to impress Jesus By his own flesh and blood assessment of Jesus. They say, oh Jesus, I know something about you. I've looked at you. I've been checking you out. And I've come to a conclusion. And this is what I have to say. You are from God. Listen to this. John 3 verse 1 to 3. Now there was a man of the Pharisees. Named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know. See the confidence. We know. We have already made an assessment, an evaluation. and, And we have come to the conclusion that we know you. We know. We have discussed this. We had a meeting. And our conclusion is that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Oh, Nicodemus, you are good too. You guys, you are spot on. Listen to Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus, you did not answer the question. Give the guy some benefit of the doubt. And pat him on the back. And say good try. Why did Nicodemus get in trouble? Because Jesus here is not very impressed. Jesus is downloading on Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a rabbi. And Jesus was a rabbi. I want you to get what is happening. Nicodemus is a, rab- a rabbi. Jesus is a rabbi. And Nicodemus thought They were professors at the same theological college. Nicodemus thought Jesus was an emeritus professor, but they were in the same department of theological and pastoral studies. Nicodemus had claimed to himself ability to figure out the person of Jesus. And you would think that Nicodemus Did he so politely? Nicodemus was such a polite, well-mannered person and should not have gotten in trouble. But Jesus was not impressed. He cut him off and said, Not so fast, Nicodemus. You know nothing of heavenly things and surely you know nothing about me. You have no ability to know who I am and cannot sort out heavenly things for me. You see the contrast between Nicodemus and the woman, the Samaritan woman. Jesus had a nice discussion with the Samaritan woman. All the way until the Samaritan woman was slowly caused to know who Christ is at the end of the conversation. I have met the Savior of the world. See the progressive revelation in the conversation. Initially she says to Jesus, you are a Jew. it that you being a Jew will come and ask me, who is a Samaritan, water to drink. And then he says, are you greater than our father, Jacob? Are you a prophet? I know when the Messiah comes, he will tell us all these things. And then she says, I found the Savior of the world. So there's a progressive revelation, and it's Christ who is revealing himself to her in the conversation, in the spiritual. But Nicodemus begins very high, and Jesus says, slow down. You're going to, you're going way above your pay grade. You have no ability to see these things unless you're born again from above. So Jesus says, let me tell you the truth. Unless you're born again from above, born of the spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And who is the kingdom of God? Jesus is the kingdom of God and he cannot be seen. That is, he cannot be understood. He cannot be received as God unless God performs a work in a person to cause them to see him. And so for one to know the identity of Christ, they have to be born again. That's Jesus' condition of receiving and believing him. The new birth is what enables the sinner to see Christ and to believe the gospel. It is what gives Spiritual eyesight to those who were born blind. And this is the work of God alone. You cannot dip yourself in water to get your eyes to see Jesus. And we know that is the formula in the majority of churches. You get baptized that you may be born again. (laughs) If you get baptized to be born again. You are just coming out a wet, blind person. There's nothing called baptismal regeneration. Because if that were the case, if this is how spiritual things are communicated to sinners, guess what? Everyone who took a shower today has been born again. Doesn't work like that. Regeneration happens by God alone and in his time. It is a sovereign act of God, which means it is not caused and cannot be caused by a sinner. And this work of God, of regeneration, of the new birth, raises a sinner from their spiritual death to spiritual life. And one who is raised as such gives a true testimony of the person of Jesus. First John. 2 verses 23 and 24. 1 John 2 23 and 24. Apostle John says, Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you had from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. This testimony by Apostle John is very important because it is another test of the new birth. The new birth is unto this kind of testimony. The new birth confesses the Son as God. Christ has to be honored. And God is not going to honor his son by giving you a testimony of his son that is at the same level as that of angels. Jesus already told us in the book of John, I believe John chapter 5, that the father loves the son and he wants to honor the son. So the son is not going to be honored by a title that is less than who he is. So when God comes to a person, he does not give them a title of Christ or the identity of Christ that is lesser than who Christ truly is. See also, according to John, 1 John 2.23, That the new birth also says the confession that the father and son are separate persons and yet united. They are separate persons and yet they are one. See also that the confession of salvation is in the son, not in the father. God says, if you want to talk to me, you have to talk to my son. Otherwise, I do not want to hear from you. No one comes to the Father but by the Son. The Son is the truth, the way, and the life to the Father. One cannot confess the Father whom they have not seen according to Jesus. When the Father reveals himself, he doesn't reveal himself outside the Son. Jesus Christ is God's revelation. And according to the testimony of Jesus in the book of John, the Trinity is Christ-centered. The Trinity is Jesus-centered. God is centered around Jesus. And so the one who denies who the Son is does not have the Father, and that means they are not saved. There's no legitimate way to spin this around as to grow a big church of unbelievers. If the father abides in a person, he gives them the testimony of his son. The father does not give testimony of himself, but of the son. This is my beloved son, of whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to the son. That's the Father's testimony of the Son. And similarly, the Holy Spirit does not give a testimony of Himself but of the Son. The Holy Spirit does not give a testimony of Himself but of the Son. He reveals all the things of the Son to the elect. Therefore, one who denies the Son and makes the Son the Father and the Holy Spirit the same person, He has not heard from the Father or the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not the Father and is not the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Son of God who is God. The Father is God and the Holy Spirit is God. And the three of them are God. And they are one and yet separate and yet equal. The Father did not incarnate. The father did not take up human flesh. The father did not die on the cross. It is the son who came in the fullness of time, according to Apostle Paul, in the fullness of time and was born of a woman and born under the law that he may redeem those who were under the law. John did not say one can have the father and continue to give a false testimony about the son. God is not a liar and is not the author of confusion. The one who does not believe that Jesus Christ is God come in the flesh does not have God. They may go to church and have a huge edifice in Texas and call themselves oneness Pentecostals, Unitarians. But God does not care about those things. This is something That I see getting forgotten by many who profess to be Christians. Christianity and salvation means giving and confessing God's testimony of His own Son. That's what Christianity is about. We are confessing what Jesus is saying about Himself, what the Father is saying about Jesus, what the Holy Spirit is saying about Jesus. We have to get tighter. And tie together the loose ends of the things of salvation and say the same things that God says. If anyone denies what God says about Jesus, then they have not God. And this is serious business. We are not entitled to believe what we want to believe about Jesus. Just to be nice and say, oh let us be nice. That's okay. That's love. <laughs> we are not saved by being nice to people in falsehood. But we cannot be mean just to be mean unless the truth of the gospel is being compromised. We were saved by the obedience of Christ and our opinions cannot serve even a cockroach our opinion, or even if we were to die, our death cannot redeem no one. It can't redeem a fly, a cockroach, an ant, you name it. Yes, we can make our own gods after our own image. And if one denies the revelation of God in Christ, they have no option but to make their own God. If you deny what God is saying about Jesus, guess what? You have to go and make your own God. And men are so good at making their own gods. For men as sinners cannot live without gods. They have to make their own idols. They have to carry their idols around. They love to carry idols. Gods that can be carried around. And even be set on like Rachel did with hers. People have made their own idols. And given them birth certificates. And called them Jesus. But those Jesuses. And not the Jesus of the Bible. A Jesus who is still in a stroller is not a Jesus who serves anyone. This is the Jesus of the Bible. John 1, verse 1 to 5. We are working towards our text. It's gonna be good. This is the Jesus of the Bible. John 1, verse 1 to 5. In the beginning was The word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. We have greater revelation Of who God is and what work he has accomplished. And so we have to also give a better testimony of his son. God expects us to have a high Christology. That is to have a very high view of his son. Jesus expects us to have a very high Christology. That is a very high view of himself. Because Jesus had a very high view of himself. There is foolishness in the professing church because of a poor and a low Christology. That is a low view of Christ and his accomplishments. And that is why people move in with their trackload of works to try and fill up the gap of what they perceive Christ did not and could not accomplish. Works righteousness comes because men have a low view of Christ. Because if they had such a high view of Christ, they would also bring the testimony that Christ accomplished salvation. And this is why they begin salvation by faith, but they seek perfection by their own works. It's a Christology issue. But John says, John the Apostle says, this Jesus was the Logos, is the Logos, the Word, and this Word was not just some letters just spewing out of God's mouth. He was with God. The Word, the Logos was in the company of God, and that means he had a separate identity and personality from that of God. But he was also God, not a God. And that means the word possessed every attribute that is God and that is in God. With respect to time, listen to this, with respect to time, he was in the beginning with God. And that means the word was always with God, even in the beginning, which was no beginning, because God has no beginning. The beginning of the beginning, which was no beginning. And that means the word has existed from eternity, with no beginning in time. Jesus does not have a birth certificate from eternity. Jesus does not have two birth certificates. Because the way that these guys are teaching, they are saying if Jesus was born of Mary and he pre-existed in some form of some created being, then it is saying Jesus has two birth certificates. Jesus, according to his deity, has no birth certificate. He only has a birth certificate with respect to his incarnation. Now listen to the accomplishments or skills of this word and the abilities. This word has some awesome resume. All things came into existence or into being through this word. Imagine how many companies would hire you if you could just make things by just speaking. Just be speaking things and the company is making money. They have a ton of products to sell. Just... (laughs) <laughs> so this word has creative power that's omnipotent power because only God can create angels cannot create and the false prophets who are decreeing and declaring things they are full of foolishness they don't know what they are talking about there is no man who has power to decree anything it's only God who has power to accomplish things and to bring things to being Now, when you have such kind of power, it doesn't sound to me like these are just some words. When this word spoke, things happened, things came into being that did not exist before. And apart from the word, nothing would exist, which means the existence of all things is through the mediation of this word. When you're reading the New Testament, pay attention to this, when you're reading the New Testament, When it comes to Christ, the Bible continues to use the same language of through Christ. It's always through. Through. All things were made through him. We are saved through him. Everything happens through the son, through the mediation of the son. The son cannot be avoided. He stands among all things. It can't be avoided. Everything is sustained by the power of this word. Hebrews 1, verse 1 to 4. The writer of Hebrews says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world, who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself paged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So the word was with God and from eternity, And it has creative power. And there's no one else who fits that description. Jesus pre-existed the creation of the world. But pre-existence does not prove that he is God. Why? Angels pre-existed the creation of the world. But angels are not God because they pre-existed the creation of the world. There is more that Jesus is for him to be God. God alone can forgive sins. And Jesus walked around saying to sinners, your sins have been forgiven. Jesus claimed to give life. No angel or man can give life. God alone can do that. God alone has power to create and bring things that didn't, Not exist before into being. And Jesus takes that line also and says. I also can do that. And I did that. And I'm still doing that. Jesus is the power of creation. And so he is God. And so salvation is his work of the new creation. And that is why all those who are in him are called what? They are new creatures. The new man Created after Christ Jesus, Colossians one. People got me mowing when uh, we are trying to learn about salvation. They need to come down here and listen. <laughs> Colossians one thirteen to eighteen. Apostle Paul says, "He has delivered us from the power of darkness, and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love." In whom we have redemption through his blood. See that through again. The forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. Firstborn is not saying he, he was the first one who was born of God. It means preeminent. He is the preeminent one. Verse 16, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. That's preeminence again. And in him all things hold. In him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Preeminence. So according to the writer of Hebrews, and according to Apostle Paul in Colossians, all things hold together, not by duct tape, not by gorilla glue, not by the law of physics, but by the word, Jesus Christ. The word who holds all things by the word of his power. If Jesus would let go of anything and everything, everything will come unglued and go into nothingness. We have, we move and we live and have our being in him. He sustains us. The fact that we woke up knowing our names this morning it's Jesus who sustained it. It's not because he had dinner last night. That's not the reason why we are able to walk. He sustains us. And it is he who holds us by faith. He is the author and finisher of faith. The faith that overcomes and serves is created and sustained by him. What am I saying? I'm saying the purpose of redemption is to reveal God in Christ. In the incarnation, God enjoins himself to man and man is drawn to God. In the tabernacle, God drew close to man and man drew close to God through the sacrifice and the priesthood. Man could not go to God. It's God who came to the place of meeting To meet with men. He said, I will come down and I will meet you where? I will meet you at the mercy seat. So, who is the mercy seat? It's Christ. Christ is the meeting place between sinners and God. So, he became flesh, and according to John, he tabernacled among us, and through him, we now have access to God and our union. With him is also what brings us access to God. So the incarnation of Christ made God accessible to us who were sinful creatures, who were separate from God, who were separated from God because of sin. And so the Holy Spirit gives testimony of Christ as the God-man who has been exalted high. The Holy Spirit, these are deep myths of The things of Christ. The things that we are talking about. The Holy Spirit gives testimony. Of Christ as the God man. Who has been exalted high. Before the incarnation. Before Christ came. In the flesh. He was already exalted as God. Because. He is God. And he was already. Receiving worship. From all the angels in heaven. Isaiah 6, 1 to 3. Isaiah 6, 1 to 3. Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And John will come and tell us in John 12 that he saw Christ. Isaiah, when he made this testimony, he had seen Christ exalted. The pre-incarnate Christ. After the incarnation, Christ has been exalted again as the Godman from his condescension and humiliation of death on the cross. And that is what the scriptures talk about. God the Son is now exalted but clothed in human likeness. He had never before been exalted in this form or way. Christ, until the incarnation, he was just Jesus, the Logos. But the incarnation, he comes and he adds human nature to himself. And that human nature has to be exalted together with Christ. And so many may get confused and think that Jesus then did not have glory before. No, this is what Jesus said in John seventeen five. Jesus said, Now, O oh Father, glorify me with yourself. Now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus had glory before the world was. And he is going towards the cross. And he is praying to his father. And say once I'm done with this work. You take me to the same glory. That I had before the incarnation. Why? Because he has a nature. To himself now. That has not yet been glorified. In the same way. That Jesus was glorified before the incarnation. And so the sitting. And exaltation of Christ. On the right hand of God. Is the exaltation. Of God in the incarnated Christ. Remember Jesus. He had humbled himself. He had humiliated himself. By taking up human nature. The taking up of human nature. Was humiliation. Because see this is God. And he is adding to himself. A nature which is below. Himself. Below the angels. Is human nature. So that's humiliation. That's condescension. And not only that. He became a servant. And not only that, he died on the cross. But not only that, it was the death of a criminal. So that was all the humiliation of Christ. That was the servanthood of Christ. But now God has given him Christ in this union of God and man. God has given Christ in this union of God and man the name that is above all names. The name that is above all names is simply saying that Jesus is God. For there is no other name that can be given that has any authority above that of God. God is the highest name that can be given. And Jesus has been given that name which is above all names. And that means what? Jesus is the name of God. Because all things bow to him. And everything confess. All tongues confess. And every knee shall bow to this name. And you don't bow to a name that is below God. Otherwise God as God would not allow that. So hear this. And so that is the testimony of the deity of Christ. The deity of Christ Christ. And his humanity cannot be separated. You can't say, I'm going to worship only the deity part of Jesus. You can't do that. Such formula or understanding is not there in the Bible because wherever Christ appears post the resurrection, he appears as God in this human fashion. But this re-exaltation of Christ happens in the context of a finished redemption. He is re-exalted and given a name above all names because he finished purification of sins and obeyed even to the point of death on the cross. And so the identity of Christ is very significant in the completion of his work. This point is so important, I have to repeat it. The Exaltation of Christ comes because of His finished work. Read the Bible. After He finished the purification of sins according to the right of Hebrews, He sat on the right hand. After having obeyed even to the point of death on the cross, God has given Him a name that is above all names that in the name of Jesus, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow, right? To the glory of God the Father. That Jesus is Lord. Something to that effect. So you see in both contexts. The exaltation of Christ. Has something to do. Or everything to do. With his completed work of salvation. That's the point. That I'm trying to drive home. That if Christ is who he is. Then his exaltation. Happens only on account. Of him having finished redemption. So you can't preach a gospel that denies a complete salvation because with that you are also denying the exaltation of Christ. And so the identity of Christ is very important in the completion of his work. His work leaves a signature as to who he is. And the cross is the clearest signature of his identity and the perfection and completeness of that work's of that work speaks to who he is as God. Romans 1, verse 1 to 4. I told you we're gonna do most of our <laughs> most of our teaching is actually introduction. <laughs> oh, I love it. I didn't want to do three sermons on the deed of Christ because I, I saw the material. I was like man, there's just so much stuff here. Uh, I'm not going to pull three more weeks on it. We're just going to do one. And then later on, we'll come back to some of the other material. Romans 1, verse 1 to 4. Apostle Paul writes and says, Paul, a born servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. See what Apostle Paul is saying? He's giving us the twofold identity of Christ. His humanity. He is according to the seed of David. He is a descendant of David. But not only that his deity was declared by the resurrection as the son of God. So Jesus was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And so the resurrection of Christ not only said salvation was done and accepted, but it testified that Christ was the son of God. So then What we say about the work of Christ says what we think about him. It says what we say he is. If we say he did not complete salvation, then we are implicitly denying the testimony that he is God. For God does not leave things incomplete. One who is born of God has to be united in their testimony with him about what Christ accomplished And who he is. Because God teaches them. That testimony. But we want to go back. To John the apostle. And his writing style. Now we are working. To our text. We want to go back to John the apostle. And his writing style. So that we may have. Understanding. Of what is happening in the book of John. This is what John has done. At the opening of the book of John John made a thesis statement John is a graduate student writing a thesis John has made some huge claim about Jesus that he was God who created all things who was in the beginning with God and that he is the light of man and this Jesus as the word of God God among us. Grace and truth came with him. Grace and truth are attributes of God alone. They did not come with Moses. They came with Jesus. Now what John is doing as he expands his writing he is expanding his writing to support his opening statement. He now goes to give evidence of his claims that Jesus is God. But it is not John who does it, but God himself. God now goes to give testimony of Jesus as God by putting words into the mouth of those who hated Jesus. He caused them to speak more than they understood. He caused them to speak that which was true about Jesus, but in hatred and denial of it. So they confirmed the truth by denying it. And this style of revelation of Jesus and the gospel permeates the writing of John. Is actually one of the styles or literal styles that John uses to reveal truth in a story in a way that is not as didactic like reading Colossians chapter 1. Let me give you an example. John 11 verse 49 to 52. John says, And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now this he did not say on his own authority. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die For the nation, and not for the nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Caiaphas did not say that on his own authority. He did not know what he was talking about. He said, oh, it is expedient that one man should die for the nation. But not only for this nation, but to gather together in one the children of God. Together in one in Jesus. (laughs) And that's sovereignty. If you do not understand the sovereignty of God, you will not catch this kind of understanding. And so this was again another opportunity for the Jews to give us the testimony of who Jesus was. We do not need a commentary on what they thought because the text tells us what they thought of Jesus' claims. They understood him to be claiming to be God. Remember the Jews had the highest theology about God of any nation. And that is why they were mad at Jesus for claiming to be the Lord of the Sabbath. And if anyone would claim to do the things that they understood God alone to be able to do they deserved to be stoned for blasphemy. So the Jews have a high theology. They know what God does. They know that God alone saves. They know that only God creates. They know that only God forgives sins. And if anyone would come claiming to be God, they have to be stoned. And with that understanding, we go to the text. John 10, 31-33 The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we did not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. They say, You being a man, you claim to be God. Bingo. John has just demonstrated what he meant by John 1 verse 14. Read that. John 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. Do you see it? The Jews just claimed both natures of Christ. They acknowledge that he is a man. There's no doubt they acknowledge that Jesus is a man. But who also claims to be God? That is the God man. That is the word that became flesh. And that is how God determined to preach his son. And God will cause anyone to speak truth about Christ even when they are mad at him. Verse 34 to 36 of John 10. Jesus answered them, Has it not been written in your law, I said you are gods, if you call them gods to whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, You are blaspheming because I said, I am the son of God. We need some teaching here to understand what Jesus is saying. Or arguing because there are many preachers and denominations that claim that human beings are some little gods. We have to understand where Jesus was coming from to understand what he was saying or referring to. See what the Lord did. That is, the words that Jesus just quoted came from the Old Testament they came from the Old Testament Jesus says in your law he was here creating a point of reference for them so that he can develop his argument about his own claim as you know normally when we are talking about the law we think of the first five books of the Old Testament but according to Jesus in this context He means all the Old Testament. For in this context, he quoted not from Moses, but from the Psalms. It was, according to Jesus, your law or their law in the sense that the Jews gloried in their possession of the law. And also in the sense that they were supposed to submit to its authority. So what law was Jesus quoting from? Psalm 82. Psalm 82 verses 1 to 8. And this is what he says. A psalm of Asaph. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the poor And the fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and needy, deliver the poor and needy, free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said, You are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth for you shall inherit all the nations. Pay attention to this. The psalmist speaks of God as a true judge in Psalm 82, verses 1 and 8. Verses 1 and 8. Verse 1 says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. In verse 8, he says, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all the nations. So, God is the one who is the true judge. Then he speaks of men appointed as judges who were failing to provide righteous judgment for God. Psalm 82 verses 2 to 7 say, How long will, will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked, defend the poor and the fatherless, Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. They do not know nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. I said you are gods and all of you are children of the most high. But you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. So these gods refers to human judges. So in this sense God said to the Jews you are gods that is you are human judges and in no way was God saying these human judges had divine nature. That's not what he was saying given the context of what God is talking about. He's saying you are the judges of my people you are supposed to dispense justice to the poor and the oppressed. So now Jesus shows up and says it is not out of the ordinary that I would come and use the same terminology for myself and call myself the son of God. This is nothing new. You know in the law God already referred to your charges as God's. But he was not speaking in that context to the fact that you actually possessed any divine nature. No. He is just speaking to the existence of that nomenclature to say this is normal nomenclature. The scriptures cannot be broken. So listen to John 10.35 If you call them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken which means the terminology of what God has given still holds. Do you say of him... Whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world. You are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God. Jesus says. The way of naming things of scripture. Or the hermeneutic of the scripture cannot be changed or broken for expedience. It can't be bad now that I am using it. It was okay when you guys were using it. It was okay when it was used in the Psalms. And now you want to change rules in the middle of the game even as to stone me. If it was okay to call these human judges who are going to die, to call these who are going to die gods, what about me? Whom the Father set apart and sanctified and sent into the world. And by saying sent, he's saying, I actually came from somewhere. Being sent into the world is invoking his pre-existence. And so Jesus says, you can't accuse me of blaspheming just because I said I am the son of God. Take it easy. Chill. Take it easy. And they should not have been so incensed or mad at Jesus, especially given that he had positive proof to that end. And so he said, on that basis, on that basis, I have the right to use the same terminology for myself. Don't get offended at me, but even more, I am truly the son of God. Listen, verse 37, 38. If I do not do the works of my father, now he's telling us why, he's giving evidence of why he has right to that title. If I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. But if I do them, though you do not believe me, Believe the works so that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Jesus is not repenting. (laughs) He keeps pushing. Jesus says, the works that I do are the works of my Father. They are the works of God and I could not be doing them if I was not the Son of God. But these works that I do... They bear testimony that the Father is in me and I in the Father. They bear testimony of my union with the Father because I am God. (laughs) And of course, on hearing this, the Jews were so happy about Jesus. They were so happy. Like, oh, Jesus, thank you for that clarification. That helps. (laughs) Verse 39. Therefore... They were seeking again to seize him. And he eluded their grasp. They wanted to seize him so that they may bring him to trial and stone him for blasphemy. What blasphemy? That being a man, he made himself equal with God. And see that Jesus did not say, oops, that was just a gaffe, friends. (laughs) I was kidding. I was just in the heat of the political campaign. I did not mean to say that. So I am going to send my campaign managers to CNN and Fox News to correct the gaffe. And say, no, he just meant to say he was just a Nazarene, the firstborn of Mary and Joseph. <laughs> he did not say that. He did not lie or apologize. He just eluded their grasp to say, whatever, whatever, I'm not going to do that. Verse 40 to 41. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing and he was staying there. Many came to him and were saying, while John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true, many believed in him there. And so Jesus went away beyond the Jordan River to a place where John had been laboring in his ministry. Before he had been killed. But in this place. Where John had some work. Had done some work of preparing for the Lord. The people were receiving him gladly. And everything that John had said about about Jesus. Was testified to be true. Everything that John said about Jesus. When these who came. When they saw Jesus. They said everything that John taught us about Jesus is true about this man. Our preaching and teaching of Christ, our faith, he has to bear the truth about Christ. So that when those who hear about him, when they see him, they will have the same testimony. Everything that we heard about this Jesus is true. And so, because of that, we are not entitled to say or believe what we want about Jesus. We bring God's testimony about him. And we are told by John that many believed in him there where he had not done that many miracles. The Jerusalem crowd had seen many miracles of Jesus. But they could only want to seize him as to kill him. That's all they had. For everything that Jesus did for them as testimony of who he was. The only conclusion is, let's kill him. Let's turn him. Get him. Get him. And get rid of him. What are we saying? What shall we say to all these things? When I'm teaching these things, I, if you have noticed, our sermons, even though they are from the same chapter, same book, I teach them to be independent sermons. Because you don't know, someone is not going to listen to the whole teaching of John. So I can't assume that they're going to go to our teaching in John chapter 3. I assume that this is the only thing that they're going to hear. And that's one of the reasons why we take time. So what are, we, what are we to say about all these things? Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who is God. Jesus does not apologize about his claims of being God. He is God and he has evidence to that effect. He created all things and sustains all things. And he is the good shepherd for one reason alone. Because he is God. Because he is God. He resurrected for one reason alone alone. Because he is God. Salvation is secure for one reason alone. Because he is God. And because he is God, he is even going to raise us up when we die. Because you see, if Jesus is not God and you die, then you are lost. But if he is God and sustains all things, he will recover you. And people will say, so what happens to a Christian who was eaten by a shark? And if Jesus spoke all things from nothing and they exist, and you think that's the hardest thing for him to recall everything back to who you used to be. He is God. He will raise all those that the Father gave to him even if they were eaten by a shark, even if they died in an airplane, in an accident, and all their body parts were lost all over the mountains and washed wherever, he knows where they are. He is God because he gives life. There is only one who has life in himself, and that's God. Jesus cannot be run over by a car and die. Like some friend of mine from work says, "Oh, when Jesus returns, I'm going to hide in the basement. <laughs> and he says, well, I'm going to shoot him. He even said that. He said he will shoot Jesus and he expects Jesus to die. From his whatever little machine gun he has. <laughs> Jesus cannot die from a snake bite. You can't inject poison in Jesus and expect that he will die. It is nothing on him. He is life in himself and no man can take that life away from him. And he has given his life to the sheep. He has given his sheep eternal life. He has forgiven the sins of his sheep. He has recreated and is recreating the sheep after himself. And those are all prerogatives and rights and evidence of deity. Angels cannot claim to do the things that Christ claimed to do. Jesus Christ is God, but he is not the Father. And is not the Holy Spirit, even though they are one. They are all one, and they are one God. Do we understand that? No, we don't. But we believe it. Because that's what he says. But this testimony of who Jesus is only comes from above. It comes only to the elect through the new birth. He has to be revealed to every one of us by the Father, by the Holy Spirit, by himself. He reveals himself. The Father reveals him. The Holy Spirit reveals him. And so if we want to know about Jesus, we ask God to reveal him to us. That's the only way. And if we know Jesus and have believed on him for who he is, it only happened that way. It only happened one way. It only happened by God's own revelation. God is the one who taught us. So what are we saying? We are saying That Christianity is a revealed religion. You don't get a book and study your way into heaven. You don't work your way into heaven. God has to come and teach you. It's all spiritual. Christianity is a spiritual exercise. And it's God who presides over all those things. So Jesus is God. And ultimately, like I used to tell people at the nursing home, after having said a lot of things, With the capacity of mind. I'll say. I've said all these things to say. You only need to remember one thing. Jesus. That's all. Because he is all. And we are complete in him. That's the testimony of the gospel. Let us pray. Heavenly Father Lord. We just praise you. We honor you. We thank you for your son Jesus Christ. For the revelation of him. Who he is. And what he has accomplished in the salvation of his people. And Lord, I just pray that this word will be brought to remembrance to your people, these who are gathered here and those who shall listen at whatever time you have appointed. Lord, we just ask that you grant ears that they may hear. And we teach these things, Lord, that they may know the way of peace with you because the way of peace is not in any other name by the name of Christ. There is no other name that has been given underneath the earth. By which man can be served. But by the name of Jesus. And so Lord we call ourselves blessed as Peter. Whom you said blessed are you Simon by Jonah," For flesh and blood did not reveal these things to you. But my father who is in heaven. So those who have the revelation of Christ are these who are blessed. And we may not know how much that means and what that means, but we know that it's such a blessing and it's that big. We thank you, Lord, for the testimony of Christ. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us here this morning and blessing us by your teaching. May you be with us as we go out. May you keep us from stumbling. And if you are so pleased, Lord, may you bring us all together again soon. Lord, we ask for your blessing as I go out preaching that same gospel and that same Jesus that they who shall hear who also say everything that was said about this man is true we pray and we thank you in jesus name amen